Warning. The following episode may include Killing a Childhood Friend Young Boys Norman Rockwell Kid Manipulation Child Thievery A Possible Bastard Teacher Strong Language Violence Worm Eating Fake Chicken Possession Mini Bike Terrorizing Lying about parental abuse. Worm centipede. Table carving. Parental drunken medical advice. Welcome to the Ben Library Podcast. Seventeen, I made a bet with my friend Jimmy Hobgood, Sr., that he could survive falling into Lot's Bluff. The fall was about 200 feet and ended in soft clay in a stream and gorged with spring rainwater. Jimmy said he would die if he fell, but $50 was $50. I gave him a hard shove. He screamed all the way down. Use that $50 to buy me some candy. My point in that story is that young boys, aged 8 to about 50, do stupid things. We jump off bridges. We drink alcohol while we jump off bridges. We do any and everything to impress whatever it is we want to mate with, be it man, woman, or chicken. Chickens are often not impressed, as they are, in the words of philosopher Werner Herzog, quote, a kind of bottomless stupidity, a fiendish stupidity. They are the most horrifying, cannibalistic, nightmarish creatures in the world. Of course, one supposes Mr. Herzog had not been in contact with many teenage boys. How to Eat Fried Worms by Thomas Rockwell shows the devious stupidity of the human male. When backed into a corner, a man will commit to eating worms and performing hellish pranks to stop another man from eating worms. We will turn on one each other, eat one another alive through base acts of vile pretension. We are animals, after all. In H2EFW, exhibits the human zoo at its most base level. Talking about the author itself, Thomas Rockwell is born March 13, 1933, to Norman and Mary Rockwell in New Rochelle, New York. Mary Rockwell was a schoolteacher and an unpublished author, while Norman painted some of the most famous images in American history. As a painter, Norman Rockwell created various covers and illustrations for the Saturday Evening Post. When the family moved to Arlington, Vermont, where Thomas grew up, his father's paintings became much more rooted in small-town life. Living in the tiny town of Arlington, with other families in the arts, Thomas did not feel his father's fame. From the LA Times, quote, It didn't seem so remarkable then, unquote, says Rockwell. Quote again, it was just some sort of what your father did. He didn't stand out as if he played shortstop for the New York Yankees or something like that, unquote. Which I guess would make sense. If your dad was just some dude and his friends or your neighbor or a bunch of other people in the neighborhood also did painting and the arts, it just wouldn't seem normal. It almost seemed boring. Dad paints these funny pictures. He's not doing something cool. He's not Evil Knievel jumping over the Grand Canyon. He's not on the TV like, like you said, baseball. I guess that's the funny thing about normalism, isn't it? Anyway, 
Thomas graduated with a class of 23 in a one-room schoolhouse and went on to Bard College. After college, he got a job working in the magazine. I didn't, wasn't able to find out what magazine because I'm a bad researcher. His first professional writing job came as an uncredited ghostwriter for his father's autobiography, My Adventures as an Illustrator. Thomas himself claims he got the jobs over a actual professional writer because his father believed Thomas could be censored. But Thomas kind of laughed that off. He claimed nothing in his father's life needed censoring. I mean, it's Norman friggin' Rockwell. What do you think he killed a dude and then would tell his son about it? Probably just left that out. I'm not saying Norman Rockwell actually killed a man, but, well, there you go. While reading to his son later in life, Thomas decided to begin reading children, writing children's books. He found modest success with several books with his wife, Gail. She illustrated several of them. Then, he had a bad meeting over one of his first books, Squawk, and he said he felt like he could eat, fr- quote, like he could eat fried worms, unquote. This began the germ of an idea that turned into H2EFW which is what I'm calling How to Eat Fried Worms. The book was rejected 23 times. How to Eat Fried Worms, H2EFW, before being published by Franklin Watts in 1973. Despite all those initial rejections, the book was a great commercial and critical success. H2EFW was awarded the Mark Twain Award, the California Young Reader Award, and the Sequoia Book Award. The CBS Story Break animated the story in 1985, and a live-action movie came out in 1980 and woo, not 2006. As of this writing, it has sold more than three million copies. It's never been out of print. How about them worms? Rockwell he continued to write books for children, with about 14 published. Two of those were sequels to H2EFW. How to Fight a Girl, and How to Be a Millionaire. He also began working on a book about Shakespeare for adults. That was from an article in the early 2000s when the movie was coming out. As of the mid-2000s, he lives in Poughkeepsie, New York, and he also manages his father's estate. Now this book was banned for, which must be nice. I mean, you just get to sit around, read books, and tell like different museums. Now I don't think you get to handle my shit. Now I don't think dad would like your stuff hanging in your museum. No, I'm sorry, Steven Spielberg. You can't use that shot of my father's painting and you're, you know, that'd be, that's just the fuck all money, isn't it? I wonder if that's how he got his movie made. Or, I'm not saying that's how he got his movie made. I'm just saying I'm a base individual who would leverage that kind of thing my dad was Norman Rockwell, I'd be like, hey, maybe, I don't know, Fast and the Furious 9 could use a Norman Rockwell painting in it, all about family, if I can get my book about eating worms published. Interesting life choices for all of us, I guess. Now, the book was banned, that's why we're talking about it. Why else would we be here? I'm here because, well... Why not? You're here because, well, I figure you have a lot of time on your hands, and I appreciate that. But anyway, despite the evils presented in the human mail, H2EFW was not banned for any deviant gambling system or rivalry between young boys. The book has been challenged for violence and language, mostly on the language. Most parents often see words on a printed page as provoking their child's evil nature and an end in innocence, rather than the mirror most literature presents. Here's the thing. When kids cuss in books, it doesn't make them cuss. It just says, hey, that kid's like me. Unless your kid's a loser. That's not fair. Your kid's not a loser. He just has really weird friends and boring hobbies. In New Jersey in 1988, a parent in Middletown elementary school challenged the book. They claimed the book was violent, contained vulgar language. 
They wish the book to be cast out of the building. Thrown away. School disagreed. Book was retained. There was a stranger case in Indiana. The book was challenged over containing the word bastard, which, having read the book, it contains the word bastard. According to reports, a library user removed the book from the LaVille Elementary School in 1991. Now, I got a couple theories because I couldn't find any more elaboration on that. Just as a user removed the book from an elementary school library, which is weird because usually the only users are children in most elementary schools that I've been to. Then most of them don't have some kind of adult learning where you go back and learn fractions with a bunch of kids. But he sat there, he or she saw the book decided Well, it's better if I steal from this library than read this smutty, smutty bastard word. And then just decided on his own, or her own, their own, to steal the goddamn book. Of course, it could mean a teacher. Let's not leave those bastards out. But that's just an adult being a bastard, and we expect adults to be bastards. That's what they do. It is standard. But those are the only real two cases I could find where this book was specifically mentioned, to be thrown out with the bathwater. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure there's been a bunch of parents across the nation that looked at it and went, why is my kid reading an instruction manual on how to eat garden animals? We should teach him to hunt. We should teach him in the Bible where it talks about eating ass. You know, those weird books, things like that. But anyway, that's all I got for the band. How about we move into the plot itself? This crazy mismatch of nonsense. We begin with Alan and Billy. They're coming back home to Billy's house. They've been stealing old man Tater's peaches. Which is one of my favorite sentences I've ever gotten to say. I wish there'd been an old man Tater in my how, like town growing up who grew peaches, that I could go steal him? I mean, why in the hell does old man Tater have peaches and not potatoes? His name's Tater. Just ludicrous. They've got another friend, Tom. But we learned Tom. Tom couldn't come out with them to go a-stealing. Yeah, because he sat there and went, you know, Mom, I can't eat your casserole. And I completely agree with this because it was a salmon casserole and or salmon, depending on your where you grew up, I guess. And there's a fucking L in it. But honestly, what kind of casserole outside of tuna is the only thing I can imagine. And even then, I gag a little bit. There's something in the back of my throat right now trying to wonder what in God's green earth someone would look at a nice piece of fish and think, fuck it, let's cut that up and put it in with some cream of mushroom or whatever the fuck else you put in a casserole. Just seems wrong. Even a shepherd's pie. I'd look at you funny if you did that. But I, but Billy and Alan are basically on Tom's side on that one, and I'm on Tom's side. Everybody should be on Tom's side. The only one that seems not on Tom's side in this situation is Tom's mom. Making such an abomination. I had a babysitter used to make these salmon croquettes. Of course, we just called them salmon patties. But whatever. They were tasty as hell. But she damn sure didn't put them in a goddamn casserole. That feels like a wet dish. And I believe fish have already been wet too long. And that's my diatribe on that nonsense. Because Billy and Alan, they're talking about it. About how they wouldn't eat that. And Billy's like, ah, fuck it, I'd eat it. I'd eat it for money. And Alan's like, fuck you. I bet you, you'd eat anything for money. I bet you'd eat, but you couldn't eat 15 worms for $50. Billy's like, fuck yeah, I would. One a day, goddammit. And right off, these kids are cussing way more when I'm talking about them than they ever did in the book. Just gonna put that right now. But they decide to start this bet right away. They, Alan goes out straight to the manure pile. 
started grabbing some worms, and Billy's like, fuck no, what are you talking about? I mean, it makes sense to me. That's where you'd find the most worms right off the bat. Or you'd think on it anyway. But he says, no, 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 no. Billy, I'm not. Billy says, I'm not fucking eating shit worms. You find me a good worm. No, no worms out of the pile. It's not fair. Again, here's where we're going to start a whole argument about fair and unfair about a bet about eating worms. Childhood is strange. Still, Alan and his friend Joe, Joe enters in the mix at this point. These are our bad guys, by the way, Alan and Joe. They're against Billy and Tom, who have their own problems, but they're still our protagonists at this point because... Sure, let's center the book about eating worms on a particular boy. They find this big worm, Alan and Joe do, Nightcrawler. But they don't use the pile of shit, they just find it the regular old way, by digging in the dirt. Which, heads up, animals also shit in. But Alan, oh, he worries about this bad. I mean, he didn't know Billy would actually eat the damn things. But then he thinks back. Billy's, Billy fucking crushes debts. It's what Billy does. I mean, one time, it was cold as hell outside. And they, you know, they'd been playing in the snow and they built an igloo and all this kind of stuff. I assume they're in Vermont, around the New England area. So it means it's cold as hell. Especially in the 70s. I don't know why it was colder in the 70s. Maybe the movies look colder. I don't know. I wasn't there. But they were cold enough to build some kind of igloo. Probably some kind of snow construction of some kind. And Billy was like, or Alan was like, Hey Billy, sleep in that fucking igloo tonight, you dumb bastard. That's not the point when he says bastard, by the way. It's just me talking. But Billy did it. And he did it by finding a way around it. Because Billy's smart. It's me tapping my forehead. Got his brain. See, Billy, in the middle of the night, went around and grabbed up all the neighborhood dogs and shoved them in that igloo with him, cut off their escape, waited till they all calmed down and slept in a big old puppy puddle. Warm and kind. Which, honestly, is really fucking smart. Billy is a boy of focus, commitment, sheer will. He will not stop stop at anything once a bed is set before him. This is what we learn about Billy through this. We learn that Alan doesn't want to pull $50 from a savings account because he's an asshole and made a bet without thinking about it, which should tell us a lot. Most about Alan and life in general. If you don't have the money in your hand, don't make the bet. But Alan and Joe decide they're going to make him do it. They're going to make him eat it. They're going to do it in the most Weirdly quasi-racist way possible, they pretend to be French waiters after they've baked the worm. Which, I don't know if you can call that culturalist or whatever, because making fun of the French is, well, honestly, it's just base. It's just, it's wrong because, well, come on. It's easy at this point. Everybody makes fun of the French, except for the French, and they just draw pipes and shit. It's what they do. So, leave them alone. Paris is a beautiful city. The countryside around it. Giverny is gorgeous. Had a lovely weekend there one time. That's not what we're talking about now. Because they serve Billy. And he starts losing his shit. He sees this big goddamn nightcrawler. And he's like, goddamn, this is big. And he starts stomping around. And he starts kicking shit. Because, of course, if you were like, hey, here's a worm. Eat it. You said you would. I'd probably start kicking some stuff, too. And then he's like, that's not even a worm, that's a nightcrawler. And they pull out a dictionary, because of course the barn has a dictionary. And they prove, yes, nightcrawler, noun, fucking worm. I don't know what kind of dictionary they were using, but it seems weird. And Billy is bested by this pure logic and digs in. Eats the whole damn thing, says, oh, that's fine. And they, well, he's covered in ketchup and mustard and horseradish, other condiments. That's part of the bet, too. He can eat it however he wants, as long as he doesn't really chop it up and like, you know, put it in like a big thing. He has to eat, he has to eat actual pieces of it, which makes sense. 
and little boy logic. And bite after bite, the other boys watch him, and he finishes the worm, and then suddenly starts making noise. Starts flapping his arms and jumping around. And Alan and Joe are freaking out a little bit. And then he starts to chase them, making all that noise, flapping his arms, squawking. Oh my god, Billy's become a demon chicken. This would make this story much more interesting, but... As they get outside the barn and hide, they just start hearing Billy laugh his ass off. And they've been duped. Billy has lied to them after eating a worm. Which, I'm not sure is a cause of him being a teenage boy or him just eating a worm. Could be both. And Alan's still worried about this shit a little bit later. Joe offers to spike the next one. Like We can just... And I don't know what he says by spike. It might, like, poison. They're going to kill him. Or put a little razor blade in it. Like candy. Like a witch at Halloween killing other people. But Alan, he's, he's sitting there thinking, he thinks about another bet he made with Billy. Because apparently they just keep making bets with this crazy asshole. And he keeps doing crazy shit because it was the hottest goddamn day of the year. Which in Vermont is like 60 degrees. Boiling. Almost. And they bet Billy to walk around outside in the hottest damn day of the year in all his clothes. As much as he could. He was walking around outside on the street doing jumping jacks and stuff. I almost got a heat stroke, but he won the bet. Next day, Tom. Tom comes to Billy and he's like, don't worry about this, man. You're going to win this bet. I'm going to make you some gourmet shit. This is going to be fucked up. And he deep fries the worm, makes little trimmings on the side. Billy scarfs it down. And him and Tom, after Alan and Joe leave, Billy and Tom start talking about what they're going to do with that money. They're going to get them a motorbike, a minibike. One of the, somebody's cousins selling one. And they sing songs about terrorizing the town with that minibike. They're going to do all kinds of stuff. They're going to just ride up and down the street. They're going to drive up and down into the church, which honestly sounds like good fun to me, until they come up with the idea for the school, where they're going to put a trench coat around it and a hat and pull that mini bike inside the school, tell everybody it's this obese classmate. It seems kind of cruel, particularly because they'd either have to pretend that the obese class, or find a day when the obese classmate isn't there, or... Literally just make fun of him right there in front of him. Like, hey, I don't remember the kid's name, but it's like, hey, Bubba, look at it's you. And it's your twin. And it's a fucking mini bike in a trench coat. That's just messed up. But anyway, they're doing that. So they, they say they can smuggle it into school and then they'll terrorize the teacher, throw some shit at him or something. I forget exactly. And then when the teacher gets all crazy, he can just rip the trench coat off, jump on the mini bike, go tearing out, causing havoc throughout the school. Yeah, these are good kids. I remember I remember sitting in school having these kind of thoughts though, so I can't can't hit them too much. I mean, I remember everybody's probably had that hero dream. You know, where you're you're looking around like maybe I could be the one to save the school. I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s too where there were just tons of movies where kids saved the schools from terrorists and all kind of other nonsense. They would have ninjas jumped down right now. And the only thing that protected is me and my cool trapper keeper. And then the, the kid that picked on me, he, he, he'd he like me for sure. And the girl that I had a crush on, she definitely liked me. And everybody would be kind to me for the rest of the world because I was the one that killed all the ninjas with my trapper keeper. I don't know if anybody else had those kind of dreams, but hey, here's what we are. So we're on to another worm eating. But Joe... Oh, my devious Joe. He's got a warning. Joe sits there and tells him about Joe's dad warning him against eating them worms. Apparently, when he heard about the bet, Joe's dad looked up and said, What are you talking about? You've been the one eating worms, boy? And like grabs him by the shoulders and says, And his mom runs in and says, What's going on with Joe? Why are you acting this way? As he, quote, has he hunted down the American flag and ate it again? Which, strange questions, 
from Joe's house. That is a quote. It's very odd that apparently Joe once ate a flag. But back to the story, Joe's dad shakes the shit out of him, yells at him. What are you, are you eating a worm? And his mom apparently faints dead. Because that's what moms do. They don't hit you with spoons or throw shoes at you in this world. They just faint dead when they hear that you've been eating worms. And Billy is like, why, why did they say it? Why did they say that you shouldn't eat worms? And Joe says, they didn't tell me they wouldn't tell me. Just like they wouldn't tell me when my cousin got caught in the back seat with that encyclopedia salesman, which seemed like a very strange thing to drop right then. That apparently his cousin was banging some encyclopedia salesman. Just a very strange, almost adult drop to put into this kid's book. But here we go. But Tom is sitting here. He's, he's been watching Joe tell this story to Billy. Billy freaking out about it. And Joe just, and Tom's just sitting there going, hey, man, fuck you. And Billy's like, I don't know, man. He seems true. And Tom's like, no. Nobody did that. Nobody cares. And Billy starts kind of backing away. And Alan and Joe are like, well, if it doesn't matter, why don't you eat some, Tom? And Tom's like, I'm not eating any worms. And Billy says, why not? And Billy doesn't fully trust Tom and wants him to eat a worm too now. And Tom starts thinking about it, and we go into Tom's head. This is one of the problems of this book, by the way. It kind of switches narrators, kind of switches points of view really fast. Fast and loose, you should say. Because we get into Tom's head, and he's sitting there thinking about it after we've been in Billy's head and Joe's head a little bit. But Tom's sitting there thinking about eating worms to prove his loyalty to Billy, and he's like, fuck that, fuck Billy, and he leaves, breaking Billy's trust completely. Fifth worm, fifth worm, Billy just scarves down, no big deal. Even wipes his hand on Alan's pants. He's like, ha ha, fool. But inside, there's that turmoil. Doesn't let it show, though. Middle of the night, Alan calls up Joe. Joe, I'm worried. If I pull out this money, my dad's going to kill me. He's going to take me down to the woodshed, and he's going to take that gun he used on the dog, and he's going to kill me. That's not an exact quote, but... You figure something like that would happen. It's the 70s. Things like that happen all the time. Same night, Billy's dreaming. He's dreaming he's in a butcher shop with all these, quote, pigeon-chested women, which is an interesting... Actually, I thought of like three women in my life growing up that I could point to in the same way, and that's an interesting comparison, I guess. Just that big round chest. Like, not a bosom, just... Much less just a just a chest. Does that make sense? But anyway, he's having this dream, butcher shop, big chested women. And they're all standing around. They all want their order. And the guy's saying, Billy, what the hell do you want? And they pull out a giant worm. And then Billy's in a fine restaurant where he's being served all these worms. And the worms are squirming over everywhere. This is a fucking Lovecraft dream. This gets dark. It gets dark fast. This would break my brain if I woke up from that. And it breaks Billy a little bit. He wakes up his parents. Says, Mom, Dad, I don't know where you've been in this entire story, but here's what I've been up to. And he tell him, tells him about the bet. And his mom's like, you've been eating worms? You f- What? And wakes up his dad and says, Billy's been eating worms. And his dad's like, good for fucking Billy. I got work in the morning. His dad is not taking any of this shit. He says, well, what if it's a problem? He says he's having stomach problems. And Billy's like, oh, I have a stomach problem. Very fair, Ferris Bueller. Although it's psychosomatic, probably. He actually probably does feel like he's having problems, not just because he's been eating worms dumped in gallons of ketchup and horseradish and every other crazy nonsense. But again, his dad is like, I got shit to do tomorrow. Go back to sleep. He'll be fine. Quote, they ate a live crawfish in college and have no discernible effects. Unquote. Which, yeah, dad, Billy's dad's kind of cool. I kind of like Billy's dad, and I want to know more about this live crawfish story. And this is one of the things I actually do like about this book. Same thing with the Joe eating a flag and the other thing with the encyclopedia salesman. 
there's these little tidbits. They're actually very funny. Good turns of phrase, good lines, good setups. It's a well done mug. It's nice. But Billy's mom says, Billy, go to bed. And he goes off to bed and he's feeling all icky and weird. He hears his mom and dad in the next room. Something's going on. Until he hears his dad get up and pick up the phone. Apparently there's one in the hallway. It's way from where phone phones used to be, I guess. We never had one. We always had one in the kitchen. Then there was one in each bedroom. Not in kids' bedroom. Otherwise, we'd call for pizza. Even though we didn't have pizza delivery until I was in junior high school. But I grew up in a small town in a different place. But anyway, calls poison control next morning and says, that's ah, fine. So Billy's like, all right, fuck it. And he wakes up okay, goes to sleep. You know, he's not shaking awake and taken down in the hospital. So he's like, fuck it. I guess everything's going to be okay. In the next three worms, next three days, no problem whatsoever. Billy, he scarfs him down. And when Tom tries to be like, good job, Billy, Billy just gives him those fuck you eyes. You didn't help me at all, you bastard. He doesn't say that yet, though. That's just me again. Then we're on to worm, whatever worm we're on. I forget which number. But Billy's sitting there with this big fried worm that Alan and Joe has prepared, and he's still trusting them for reasons. When he's like, this is a big fucking worm, and they're like, yeah, we found a good one, didn't we? He's like, damn it. He starts cooking into it and eating it, but he's noticing They've been frying it, and there's a good breading around it. These kids have skills, man. I didn't have these kind of cooking skills when I was growing up. I could probably couldn't have fried anything, much less a worm with batter and stuff around it. But he starts scraping off some of that breading, and he sees glue. Sons of bitches have made him a worm centipede. Glued two worms together, and he starts pissed, getting pissed. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You sons of bitch. Again, doesn't say this language. This is all me. I'll tell you when they actually do start dropping words. But Joe tries to spin it back on Billy. It's not lies. What are you talking about? Anybody lies. People tell the truth all the time. Lies and truth. Good people, bad people. These aren't things. If you're in our political climate right now, well, you'll recognize a lot of this. He says, Joe just tries to go in all kind of crazy talking about Hitler and Jack the Ripper told the truth. Everything's going okay, and for whatever reason, Joe walks over to a thing of water and just dunks his head in it. He's like, what the fuck? And Tom, he's been around. He's like, "Ah, I'm feeling sick, and he leaves. Billy eats the worm. He doesn't count it for two. He just ate, ate one of them. And then there's a loose pig. And quite honestly, at this point, I have no idea what the fuck is happening. Like, are these guys even friends? Like, if I made a bet for $50 to eat a bunch of worms and my friends try to cheat me out of it by gluing two worms together, which I don't even know what that was supposed to, was he supposed to, like, shit, this is too much. Like, uh, that movie The Great Outdoors, John Candy, where he has to beat that big-ass steak. I've seen one of those competitions where you have to beat the big-ass steak, and if you do in a certain amount of time, you get your meal free. Is that what it's supposed to do? Because a worm is not that big. It's not even... I mean, maybe if you had like a 96-ounce ounce worm, maybe I could see this as a viable option, but dude's already eaten like probably like five or six worms at this point. Two glued together is not a big deal, even if they are big enough to fry. Like, I don't even understand what the problem was here. And then when they try to like, no, you cheated, you glued two together. A, I see when they're saying... No, we didn't cheat because it wasn't in the rules that we couldn't glue two together. That's a fact among facts. But also, making him eat two, and he's like, well, if I eat both, I count for two. And they're like, no, it's still one. And that's still some horse shit. I don't know. Like, I don't understand the goal here outside of somebody, probably Thomas Rockwell, author, estate, manager. Maybe he just wanted to have a scene with a worm centipede way before the human centipede ever came out. I don't know. And then he couldn't figure out a way to stop the argument. So he let loose a pig on the page and the boys all band together to go catch the pig, which I guess shows the fickle nature of boys. But also, I still have no clue what the fuck is the point of this chapter outside of that worm centipede. 
But then, knock, 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 next day, Alan and Joe are coming into town. They're leaving. They want to talk to Billy's mom. And they tell her out the bed. And Joe's and Billy's mom is like, you're still fucking eating worms? And he's like, yeah, he is. And Billy's like, mom, you eat eels. We've already talked to Poison Control. It's fine. What do y'all want? And they're like, well, we're going out of town. So we need somebody to be like a referee. And we figured Billy's mom, you'd be cool with it. Like, make sure he eats his worms for two days. And Billy's mom was like, well, he is my son. What if I cheat? What if I just tell you he ate him? And they're like, well, I mean, this is between us, us kids. It really doesn't have anything to do with you. And since you already looked it up, we're not hurting him. You know, parents are usually pretty cool until, you know, it starts having something to do with them. And we just want you to referee and make sure he eats it. You know, that's about it. We figure you're pretty trustworthy. And Billy's mom says, well, I guess that's that's fair. That night, Billy's mom, Billy's dad is like, honey, I think you should cook this, this shit up right. Billy, how you been eating these? And explains about boiling them and frying them and all this other shit. And Billy's dad's like, fuck that. Cook up some gourmet shit. Get one of them cookbooks down. And she pulls out the master of the art of French cooking. I think that's a Julia Child book. And makes up some alabaster worm, which I'm not even going to pretend to know what that recipe is. Didn't look it up. Again, not a great researcher. And makes that shit up nice. And everybody else is like, holy shit, that looks good. Except for Billy's little sister. who's like, fuck that. It's got a worm in it. And then the next day, she makes up a whiz-bang worm delight, which is basically just cake and chocolate and all kind of other shit piled up on top of the worm, which I could honestly get down to, because I can't imagine a worm actually having much of a taste outside of just dirt. And then when they come back, they find out from Billy's mom, yeah, he did it. So they start plotting some more, Alan and Joe plotting. Joe's like, remember the last time we went to a baseball game? Because they're going to a baseball game here soon, a couple days away. What we'll do, we'll do it just like last time. Billy's going to eat a whole lot of food. We're going to make him run up and down the aisle. Maybe we'll throw him down on the field, make him run around from the referees. None of that actually gets talked about. It just seems like it'd be fun to do. Basically, they're going to feed him full of food, keep him up late, and on the drive back, he's going to fall asleep just like he did last time. Bing, bang, boom, it hits midnight. He hadn't eaten his worm. Fuck that, kid. You get your 50. Which is kind of awesome. It's actually a pretty good plan. It's interesting. Like they, they reach back into their collective memories. And everybody's like, oh, and Alan's like, oh, hell yeah, that's a good one, Joe. Which we see Joe now as the mastermind. Alan's an asshole, but Joe's the mastermind behind all these plots. I don't know what he has, what stake he has in this game outside of just beating Billy. Billy must have done him wrong sometimes, or maybe just Joe's wrong. Tom comes in. They've sort of made up. He's talking to Billy's mom, and he's very Eddie Haskell. He's got that. I don't know if that's still a thing that fits, but he's like, hey, Billy's mom, what's up? And you, cool pudding, tries to eat some of it. Billy's mom's like, you rascal, no. There's a bad joke about a Columbus cousin that I won't repeat because I didn't write it down and I forget about it. And then the next day, they go to the baseball game, and the fucking thing works. Billy's asleep when he gets home. Billy's dad picks him up, goes and takes him inside. It's like 10 minutes till midnight. His mom puts him down, is like brushing his teeth and fucking putting him in his clothes. Billy's half awake and he's like, oh, and Billy's mom says something about, okay, let's get you to bed. And, you know, you wake up right and early and eat a worm tomorrow. And Billy's like waking up. He's like instantly awake. It's like, holy shit. Those motherfuckers. He pushes his mom out of the way and half naked he runs out of the house and he runs over to Tom's house and he just throws shit at their window, breaks a window, breaks in, stands on top of Tom and is like, Tom, those motherfuckers. Again, none of this happens. He just kind of goes over. I think he throws a rock at the window, wakes him up. But he says, you know, they, they didn't need a worm. We need to find them. So Tom gets his little brother and all three of them go out. They find a worm. They get a big ass siren. They go down to Alan and Joe's Houses, they blare the siren, wakes up everybody in the neighborhood, says, look what Alan and Joe made me do, all you fuckers, and he eats the worm right there in the street right before midnight. 
then they run off because they've waken up a bunch of adults who will probably kick their asses. And shit has gotten real. Alan's dad, not happy about hearing his son's name thrown out about at midnight over a siren. Joe, he hit. Apparently, I'm thinking he might have a bad home life. I don't know. But the two of them do have to go door to door and say like, Hey, I'm sorry, you know that siren that woke you up? It was because my friend, there was a worm and all kind of things. We're sorry, like little sex offenders just going house to house saying they're sorry. And Alan goes up to Billy. It's like, you bastard. This time he actually does say it. This is actually in the text. This is where that, whoever that was in LaVille Elementary School read that and was like, no, and took the book, stole the book. But yeah, they all get in a fight now. Because everybody's done somebody to hurt everybody's reputation. And they got parents involved. It's the one thing you don't do. And the four of them fight. And as they're fighting and kicking the shit out of each other, all four of them, Alan and Joe, being the sneaky bastards they are, sneak away from the fight. And Billy and Tom are kicking the shit out of each other until they're like, oh, shit. It's just me and you. And we're on the same team. But as Alan and Joe are trying to sneak away, Billy and Tom grab up some mud, starts flinging it at them. And Alan, he's not used to getting his ass kicked and mud thrown at him. He starts crying. Poor kid. And Joe, or somebody, we're not honestly sure who throws the mud with a rock in it, but it hits Billy in the head, cuts him. Game over, blood happens. Everybody leaves, except for Tom and Billy. They're sitting in that barn. Tom Tenderly helps out his friend, cleans the wound. It's very touching. But upon seeing the blood and all the shit, the dads all sit them down. And they're like, hey, look, is this all about that worm $50 bet thing? And they're like, yeah. Like, all right. You motherfuckers better chill the fuck out. So everybody sit here in this living room. Everybody calm down. Then we'll go get milkshakes. And the dads leave. And the boys all make up and... Because basically Joe's like, you know, this is this is just too much trouble. I'm not even worried about it anymore. And Alan's like, yeah, it's not your $50. And he's still like, well, you bet. And I just can't do this anymore. So they all make up and they go get milkshakes. And it's a good day. And at some point during this, I wrote down that Tom carves his initials in the legs of the kitchen table at Billy's house. And fuck that kid, man. I guess this is one of those, like, every kid has his thing. You can carve your initials at your own house, damn it. But while they're sitting there, the mail comes. And Billy's got a letter. It's a really well-written letter from a doctor. And it says all this fancy-manchy legal uh, medical mumbo-jumbo about how eating worms, when they called the other night, well, eating worms will really kill you. And they wait until Billy's dad comes home, and Billy's dad comes home, and he reads the letter, and he sits down, opens a beer, drinks it, In my mind, he drinks like four more just staring those kids down across the table, just just pounding beers, staring at this letter from the doctor and staring at his kid and his kid's friend who carved his initials in his goddamn table. Then he just starts laughing. Ah, this got you, didn't it, you little bastards? Then he points out a bunch of inaccuracies that's in the letter and it's not a real doctor, it's fucking Alan and Joe fucking with him again. So God damn it, Billy's like, ah, you bastards. But we let that one go. Because it probably, maybe it was sent before the truce. Who knows? So, last worm. Billy sits down. It looks just like all the other worms. I guess it's fried. I can't really remember, but he's eating it. And it tastes a little funny. Because by now, you know, 14, 15 worms in, he knows the taste of a worm. Even a fried one. And he's eating on it, and he's just like, this doesn't taste right. And he eats the whole thing, and Adeline's like, well, I guess you did it. Uh-huh-huh. And Alan's like, I'll go get your money. I'll have to, it'll be a couple of days, because i got to go to the bank, and got to wait for the check to clear, and then, you know, i got to see how my escrow's going, and then we got to go visit my grant. You know, all this kind of bullshit that business people do when they don't want to give you their goddamn money. But Billy's like, whatever, man. I beat you. Ha-ha-ha. And then he burps. He's like, wait a second. Wait a damn second. 
That burp tasted like beans. That burp tasted like beans, and I haven't had beans in fucking forever. Oh, you son of a bitch. And he goes after Alan. He's like, that wasn't a worm. You just made a worm out of beans. And Alan's like, yeah, so. (laughs) And so Billy's like, fuck this. I'm going to find me a worm. I'm going to find me a worm. I'm going to eat it raw just like I did the other night with the siren. And then you're going to owe me $50. And I'm going to ride a mini bike inside of school. And I'm going to pretend it's my fat friend. And things are going to be awesome. He grabs a worm and he goes to eat it and Alan comes up behind him in the thing like a fucking serial killer and just pushes him and like beats him up and pushes him in the tool shed and locks the door because there's no worms in the tool shed and Joe comes up and he's like what the fuck is going on and Alan's like he he's gonna eat the goddamn worm he didn't buy the bean shit we gotta we gotta hide him we gotta keep him somewhere he'll his dad will hear him in the tool shed Fuck it, let's put him down the cistern. Check off cistern. Except we didn't set up the cistern earlier, which I kind of wish we had. Uh, kind of wish the story had, like to make it level that this is a bit thing that Billy's dad's serious about. Because the second they start fucking with that cistern, and Billy's dad hears Billy in the tool shed, you know, trying to get out and get his fifty dollars. His dad comes along, sees him fucking with the cistern. Which, if you don't know a cistern, it's basically a well. If you fall in it, you're, you know, you could die. Shit happens. But, yeah, his dad gets pissed. He lets Billy out and he's like, okay, you go up to your fucking room and you assholes go home. I'm going to talk to your dads. Everything's in trouble. And Billy's like, dad, I just got to eat one more worm. They, they cheated me. They were going to throw me down the goddamn well. Why am I getting in trouble? And Billy's dad's like, I don't give a fuck. Because he's probably drunk. He's probably just been sitting there drink, pounding beers for a couple of days, laughing his ass off about that doctor letter. But he sends the boys home and gets his fucking, you know, like, Billy has to go upstairs and Billy's pissed. They're like, damn it, this is not my fault. Then all of a sudden he hears somebody calling. He looks down. Holy shit, it's Tom's brother. Tom's brother has a brick. He's like, what the fuck is he going to do? And he opens up his window and he says, catch the brick. And he throws a brick at him. He's like, god damn it. Or at least I would be. And Billy apparently doesn't freak out when he sees a brick thrown at him. He grabs the brick out of the air and it has a string tied to it and he pulls the string. It's got a basket and inside the basket is a motherfucking worm. Billy eats the worm in the basket right then. Runs outside, wins the bet, laughs. It's perfectly capable of laughing and being happy and outside once he's eaten the worm. Apparently gives you anti-dad powers. Maybe his dad's finally passed out on the couch. Who knows? We don't get it in the text. All we get is an epilogue. Billy and Tom chilling. Mini bike by their side. The whole world in front of them. Alan, he's fucking working. Because, you know, he just lost 50 bucks and has to pay it back into his savings account. We don't hear about Joe, because fuck Joe. And they're sitting down to a picnic next to their mini bike. Again, world open in front of them. Billy and Joe. Billy's like, hey, you want to trade lunches? Or Billy and Tom, sorry. Billy and Tom. And Billy's like, hey, you want to trade lunches? And Tom's like, fuck no. Nobody ever wants to trade lunches with you. You're still eating fucking worms. Billy's like, yeah. Yeah, I do. Got a taste for them. That's where our book ends. And what have we learned from this story? Again, what I said in the beginning, little boys are bastards. Um, Yeah, they're just... Bastard-covered bastard with bastard filling, as the philosophers used to say. They'll do anything to connive and cheat for no real reason. Joe didn't have a dog in that fight outside of just proving Billy wrong once. Alan? Alan had all the reason in the world. $50 is a lot of $50. $50 is a lot of money. It's also a lot of $50. And Billy, well, $50. And Tom's just a good friend outside of the whole carving his initials in your friend's table. I think my friend's mom's would have beat the shit out of me for that. Yeah, that's what we've learned. Persevere. Keep going forward. Throw your friends down cisterns on like day two, not on day 15 when you could get caught. Especially when your friend's drunk dad is hanging out.
And I don't, I can't think of a better lesson than that. You can follow us on Band Library anywhere, mostly on Twitter. I have on Instagram, but I don't really do shit with it. If you want to support us, patreon.com slash bandlibrary. Everything else is on bandlibrary.com. There's some other stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Follow the Twitter. That's usually what I keep up with things. That's all I have for this week. Oh, and here's just a little end of thing. I know I haven't done this for almost a year. And, um, yeah, it's been a big, hard year for everybody, hasn't it? Uh, I want you to know you're not alone. I'm not alone. I've got good people around me. I've got good people back home. I've got I've got a lot of support, and I hope you do too. And if you don't, there's professionals that you can talk to. And if the professional you talk to is shitty, there's more than one. There's multiple. And if there's none in your town that are good, call people on the phone. Whatever assistance you need. Hell, reach out to me on Band Library. I'll try to give you some good resources. Because you're not alone. And if you need to take a break and a hiatus, even if it's for a damn near a year, do it. You're worth it. And don't make bets with your friends about eating worms. It's just, I mean, unless you just want to and they got $50 to spare, you do what you got to do, I guess. It doesn't hurt anybody. Unless you're actually hurting people, then don't do that. Don't throw people down cisterns. Be nice to eat. Be kind. Be bold. Stay in. Read a book. Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.